this is the thing. The thing. What kind of a thing is it? You know, it's a thing. What do you have a thing for? So me and Taylor talk a lot about politics, and we think that you want to listen. And other things. And other things. We talk a lot about <laughs> feminism and vaginas. Diva cups. We talk a lot about the ethics of our feelings about being cat Yes. Serious things. And Cats. Politics. Nicki Minaj. Dismantling capitalism. All of these things. Hi. Hi. I'm Taylor Weech. I'm Erica Prince-Simons. And this is The Thing. The Thing. The Thing. Uh, Today we are going to be talking a little bit about empathy, as we have been, but I think we're going to do some fun things around impending holidays, which for many people are anxiety-inducing due to family disagreement. And we're also going to talk about when is it appropriate to cut somebody out of your life? Yes. In other words, the thing, colon, Thanksgiving edition. Thanksgiving edition, yeah. We are in no way endorsing Thanksgiving as a holiday <laughs> by recording this. We are just recognizing that people celebrate it still mm-hmm. with their families. It is a thing. It is. So, yeah. What's your plan for Thanksgiving? Do well, you my do family, that? My family is far away, but my new family by marriage is in Spokane. So we are going to a sister-in-law of mine's house for Thanksgiving and there will be family. Do you foresee it being harmonious? Um, it's kind of interesting. Like their family, my family now is like, they kind of like do a little, a lot of bickering and bantering, but they all hang out all the time, which is not how my family is. Or not how all parts of my family is. Mm -hmm. So, like, I kind of like that they have this very, you know, all the adult children are still live in town. And everybody does holidays and birthdays and baby showers Mm -hmm. and whatever together. It's cute. It's fun. I like it. And I'm removed from it a little bit. So, I think it's more, um, there are maybe conflicts, but I'm not engaged in them because Mm -hmm. they're not mine, you know? Yeah. That's cool. That's, I like, I like that. That's a lot like how my family is. It's a little bit further away, but it's kind of like not everybody gets along, but we all show up and, you know, mostly get along. Yeah. It's like shifted a lot over the years. So I don't know. I think my tolerance for disagreement is pretty high too, because my family is, we're South African. And if you've ever been in a room with a bunch of South Africans, it's like basically everybody yelling at each other at once, but they're all just like being nice. That's just the only way we know how to communicate. (laughs) Is Trevor Noah there? (laughs) Trevor Noah is there. Okay. Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, that's just the way I grew up. And I think my step siblings are super freaked out by it because they're like very proper and quiet people. And we'll just like me and my dad and my sister will be like screaming at each other over like the (laughs) Christmas table or whatever. And we're just like literally having a conversation. (laughs) And they're just like silent and pale and terrified looking. And then they like leave at like the first opportunity that they can find to get away. This was nice. Bye. Yes. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, we don't, my dad and I tend to like argue more and we're both more into that. Like we're both into talk radio. Like that's not, that's not a huge swath of the population, I don't think. Maybe it is. But, but your dad is into, like, Hannity. Uh, He's not super into Hannity, but he is into Glenn Beck. And he's been telling me all these years, like, 
you should actually, Glenn might surprise you. Glenn, Glenn might surprise me. Surprising. And Glenn did surprise me. Yeah, like Glenn Beck was one of the only people in the Republican like media establishment to be like, guys, what the fuck? Like Donald Trump, like what the fuck? And he like called everybody out and he's like, you say you're Christians. Like, how's that jive with this? How does that jive with this? I was like, okay, maybe yeah. my dad was right about Glenn Beck. But, well, um, Glenn Beck was like an epic tool for a long time. Oh yeah, he's, yeah. And he I think still he had a little come to Jesus about. He did. He's like Mormon. Oh, I an actual come to Jesus. I didn't mean. I that. think he, yeah, you know, he literally <laughs> did. I mean, I think he had kind of a revelation about like way earlier than the rest of us about the direction that the Republican Party was going and mm-hmm. was willing to say, "Hey, you guys, we need to watch out because this is very dangerous." Mm-hmm. And that's gotten him sidelined a lot, and that doesn't make him good. Yeah. Or not a conservative or anything like yeah. that, but it certainly yeah. makes him a powerful voice mm-hmm. for a lot of the same things that we're talking about, which are like, we have to still value the underpinnings of our democracy if we want to keep it, and we yeah. can't just, you know, yeah. disregard that because someone's willing to quote unquote tell it like it is. Yeah. And so we will go at it and we're like both enjoying it. We're just like having a normal conversation that is slightly elevated in tone. Um, <laughs> and people will be like, people get so sick of it. Like my stepmom and my sister are both like, you guys, uh, and, um, and then it's the same on my mom's side of the family. One of my uncles and I like to talk about like wonky policy stuff and like ag subsidies and like really boring shit that we're both into. And, uh, everyone assumes we're arguing and everyone will try to be like referee and be like, guys, that's enough. Like, we're like, no, it's not enough. It's fine. Like, <laughs> so I don't know. There's that whole role of like civility. Yeah. And I wonder like how important that is and how much it keeps us, you know, the whole, the common idea that we should avoid religion and politics at the dinner table mm-hmm. obviously hasn't served us super well necessarily. I don't know. What do you think about that? The role of like, well, I've always felt very strongly that by by making certain topics taboo, we push them underground, and that's kind of that's a lot of why now marginalized people have such a hard time just getting the rest of humanity to acknowledge that their issue even exists because it's like not stuff we talk about, and so it's not stuff that we think about if it's not personal to us and not something that we're experiencing. So I, and I'm a confrontational person. I have a lot of friendships in which we will go get beers and yell at each other, you know, like banter, Mm -hmm. have an argument and same thing. Like other people around will be kind of uncomfortable because they think we're mad at each other, but that's just kind of the way that, that it is you have those discussions. You're passionate about Mm -hmm. it and you really care about persuading the other person. And it's hard to keep your chill when that's happening. (laughs) But in an ideal scenario, people who respect you will respect your opinions. Even if at the end of the day, will respect your opinions, even if they're different and accept being able to walk away from the conversation, still disagreeing, but but having heard each other and listened to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so I've been thinking about this a lot and I just ran a workshop on Friday this week and I'm going to do another one in December sometime, like between Thanksgiving and the the other holidays. It was really, and it was called Rehearsing for Racism as a holiday role play potluck. So 
because I think that it's really easy to want to have a peaceful holiday and not bring up, you know, racial tensions around the country or hate crimes or the fact that, you know, water protectors at Standing Rock just got like hosed with water cannons in 25 degree weather. That was nuts. The week of Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, like those aren't like nice. Also like this is the pre-Trump era. Yeah. I just can't imagine what that's going to be like a few right? months from now. Yeah. I, yeah. Fuck. Um, I keep remembering that that's a real thing being like, fuck. Damn it. But, so um, maybe the question is, how much are we obligated? Like, I, I feel like there's been a lot of conversation on my Facebook feed and among my friends about that line between pursuing your own mental health and comfort and kind of protecting your relationships that might be compromised by having these conversations versus we all, especially as white people, have an obligation to confront these things and challenge our peers. Mm-hmm in order to make the change that we want to see and create some accountability. Yeah. Especially at this point where there is potential still to kind of set some boundaries for our new administration and let them know where the lines are. Like letting kind of like creating a strong front against some of the things that are threatened Mm-hmm. It's very important. And so, like, now is the time, to me, where, like, we need to be um, letting moderate conservatives know that we can be allies in this. And they don't have to just accept that and normalize mm-hmm. that. They can join with people who, you know, don't need them to align on all beliefs, but, like, yeah. can definitely stand together on we are not going to accept racist policies. We are not going to accept like regressing into the dark ages with women's rights, things like that. Um, So like, you know, at what point is it kind of um, a, a function of privilege to be able to just step away whenever you want and pursue your own comfort versus like our obligation Mm -hmm. to be active in this right now. Well, and I think as people with access to those folks to like moderate conservative, older white people, especially, but, um, like that's like the main group I'm thinking of here who maybe were silent Trump supporters or who, you know, don't like all of the message, but it's important to take this country back. You know, um, if we have access to those people, which we tend to, especially at Thanksgiving, yeah, in greater numbers (laughs) than some of our peers. Um, I think you have an obligation to kind of leverage that access as someone who they care about and maybe can hear. So, um, that's the that's the idea here. And, you know, I'm not suggesting there was kind of a talk at, at the workshop about, you know, if people are already estranged from their families because their families are abusive, like, don't go re-engage your abusive family just so you can talk to them. But maybe you have coworkers, maybe you have neighbors, you know, right. other people just practicing having these conversations is really important because people are so petrified. Like people think they're wrong. They don't have all the information. So they feel like, oh, I can't represent this issue because I don't know because I'm not an expert. Uh, Or they think that, you know, or they think the approach is to just like blame and shame people, which is super not effective as we've talked about before. Yeah. You know, being like, you're a stupid redneck because you supported Trump is like not a good opening line. Well, do you want to practice one of these? Yes, I do. Okay. Like 
Okay, so this is from Surge, showing up for racial justice. This is their Thanksgiving toolkit, and it's specifically for white people to use. And uh, I, I want to share a little bit of their blurb because it says, In some communities, people don't talk about politics. Many families prefer to keep the conversation away from the holiday table. That said, we know these spacious spaces can also be the spots where we have the most influence. Here's some ways to get the conversation started. When someone asks how you are doing, say, I'm feeling really your feelings after this election, which is a nice segue because it's honest for most people, you know, oh, I feel nervous to bring this up, but I think we really need to have a conversation about what happened during the election or flipping it and saying, what are you thinking about the election? Um, so yeah, they point out most people will shut down if they feel like they're being attacked. Yes. So, um, you know, approaching from a place of personal conversation. So, uh, one of the things, so I'll be, I'll be Aunt Dorothy, um, and you can be <laughs> Hi, Aunt Dorothy. Uh, I'm, I'm just sick of, I'm sick of being called racist for supporting Donald Trump. I just think that's ridiculous, and I feel like I'm getting called racist all the time, and people don't even know what that means anymore. And now I'm supposed to respond, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I totally understand that, and I don't think. I think people are tending to lump people who voted for Trump into the racist category without really giving them a chance to explain themselves. And that can be really frustrating. I think a lot of the frustration for people who are personally affected because they're part of a marginalized group that Trump has threatened feel, um, feel like it wasn't important to people who voted for Trump, that their lives were potentially going to be deeply affected. So I think that's why it tends to get lumped together. But like, I don't think that anybody, anybody's intention is to call you personally racist. Well, I'm just seeing it all over the place. And I just don't think it's not even about race. I think we just need to get past this whole race thing. I thought we were over this and I'm just so sick of hearing about it. I, I mean, I can understand that. It's pretty all over the place right now. And I think that's because it is a real issue in our country. And, you know, we've kind of let it become a thing that we don't talk about, but now we're seeing that there's a lot of really deep sentiments on both sides of the issue. And, you know, it sucks, but it needs to be addressed because people deserve to have equality. Is that... Am I? Yeah, no. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Am I doing I'm just, like, a little stumped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that was, that was good. Because okay. you weren't saying, like, oh, you're racist. Um, I'm trying to find. There was a really great thing in Robert, who was our guest last week, in his kind of explanation of his approach to social media conversations, where he said... The best way to respond to someone who feels kind of attacked by the R word, as mm -hmm. he calls it, uh, racism, being called a racist, is um, to kind of create a story, a sob story for them of like what, like, so if they feel like a victim, what do they feel like they're a victim of? And kind of articulating that for them, mm -hmm. which is not what I just did. But I think, like, I think we, I tend to have a fear of, like, saying stuff that I can't go back on. And if I tell someone that I think it's okay that they have the feelings they have, then then that's going to make me somehow complicit in racism. But, like, 
you know, we have to figure out ways to create space where people feel safe to express what they express in order to have these conversations. And it doesn't have to be a lie, but just acknowledging that you understand where, where someone's coming from, even Mm -hmm. if you disagree with it has to be a place where that starts. Yeah. And like, we're already complicit in racism, so you might as well try some things out, you know? Yeah. Like, that's, <laughs> Don't be afraid to get your hands yeah, dirty. Yeah, it's like, like your hands are already dirty, so, yeah. you know, just trying new things is a widely supported thing to do. So, and you said that there's a hotline that people yeah, can access so if they're Surge feeling Yeah, so also panicky. has, uh, if you get stuck trying to do this, you can text SOS to 82623, and they'll basically text you back some tips which is counseling yeah and i'll i'll share this guide in the podcast notes also so um can i be the the mean one yeah yeah be the mean one okay what do i ask and dorothy yeah um i think any of those we listed um one that is always tricky is like the media is lying or we need to respect the results of the election people who are protesting are whining because they lost like i think that's a good a good one. Word. I just don't, I feel like all these people complaining and protesting are being sore losers. And, you know, the real victims here are the people who are going to be late for work and who are going to have to live in fear just because we supported someone who we believe in their economic policies. And it's not fair. And <laughs> it's so hard to do. Uh, Well, you know, I mean, I understand how you're feeling, like that you feel like you're being unfairly accused of things that maybe you don't believe. Um, I'm seeing statistics and anecdotal evidence that there's a lot more violence being perpetrated against marginalized groups. And there are just a few small examples of um, of the opposite happening, like where white people are getting negativity and, you know, like I, I just, I'm not seeing what you're seeing, I guess. Yeah. But that's just, I mean, are those things really happening or is it just getting blown up in the media to stir up conflict? You know, maybe people are, I've, you know, maybe people are faking some of this. Maybe people are spray painting their own fence because they want attention. Well, I mean, I I will entertain that as a possibility for sure. But what I've seen in my own life and in our community that we live in is years and years of these kinds of feelings and um, like basically of this movement growing. And so to me, this is the natural extension of, you know, what I've seen of a lot of conservative white people becoming more conservative and feeling more protective of themselves and starting to, like we had a person um, appointed to a state legislative position who had direct connections with the local white power movement and like our moderate Republicans were endorsing him and supporting him. So I don't like, it just doesn't seem like a stretch to me. Like it seems like more of a stretch to me that people would be faking this stuff than that you know, the people I already know have these feelings now feeling bold enough to express them. Well, still, even so, that doesn't mean the way to solve that would have been to vote. And if people want to complain now, you know, they had their chance to participate. So 
you know, they need to respect the results of the election and pipe down. You know, like I agree with you 100% on how valuable our um, the tenets of our democracy are and that we need to be willing to respect elections. But what I can't respect is a, our country moving in a direction where we value some lives over others. And when we're talking about not allowing people into our country based on their religion or deporting people based on their race, like that to me just defies everything that our country stands for. What well, I think what Aunt Nancy would, or what is her Dorothy? Name? Aunt Dorothy yeah, would say now is we're only enforcing the law that already mm-hmm. exists. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's only enforcing the law that already exists. You know, and radical Islam, I don't know if you know about radical Islam. But there are people... Oh, girl, I know. ...who want to bring Sharia law to this country. You know, I... Oh, that hurts. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm an immigrant, and nobody has ever, ever told me that I need to leave this country. And to me, that's a pretty good indication. You don't look like an immigrant. Precisely. And that's what makes me feel like it's about race. And, you know, I about ISIS and I know about a lot of other extremist movements that are based in Islam, but I also know that the vast majority of their victims are Muslim people. And so it's, and that's a lot of why so many Muslims are seeking refuge in the United States because they are being attacked in their own country by these extremists. Um, You know, I like, I think we are being given some misinformation about the connection between actual Islam and extremist Islamists because like those people do not believe any real version of Islam. And, you know, I just, I think we need to show some compassion and on um, like on the immigration issue, I understand kind of the, the fear of people taking jobs that should belong to people who are legal um, citizens, but when we're talking about deporting, you know, all Hispanic or like all Mexicans who are mm-hmm. here illegally, we're talking about deporting people who have lived in this country since they were babies, mm-hmm. um, who have no home in Mexico, who don't speak Spanish. Like, I, I just, I'm not sure that people really understand the implications of that. Yeah. Well, Maybe you'll have to send me something to read about that because I hadn't heard about any of that before. <laughs> Maybe that's the best Dorothy, case you are way response. nicer yeah, than I anybody know. I've ever talked yeah. to. Um, <laughs> that yeah, was my best. I think I, that uh, gives a yeah. That was really good. I that's mean, in real life, there's a lot. Yeah, less I get stumped listening. on yeah because I think there'd be more yelling in real life. But um, yeah, I will share this toolkit with people and encourage people if you need to like. Grab a friend and practice, um, you know, if you need to, because it's really good. And I also encourage, like, I kind of held back a little bit. And the role play stuff is really valuable. And I learned it doing peacekeeper training with PJALs for Pride. Mm -hmm. And we'll do a role play and, like, pretend to be a person who's protesting at Pride. And um, my friend David, like, totally scares everyone because he gets right in your face and yells about fire and brimstone and stuff. And everyone else is kind of, like, tepid about it because you don't want to become that person. But he's mm. like, no, this is what it's really going to be like. So you have to 
yeah really be like that so well and you know i, I think haven't mastered that yet one thing every person needs to do for themselves is decide where their lines are mm-hmm. when it's a healthy conversation when it's not and think of the worst case scenario think about how you're going to deal with it and um kind of script that out for yourself yeah like and I'm kind of realizing that a lot of the sensitivity is around assumed intentions, mm-hmm. which we've talked about quite a bit off the air, just kind of how you can easily have the conversation of you said this thing or you did this thing and this is what I interpreted from that or this is how I feel about that without ever saying you did this because you're a racist or you did this because you're sexist or it's like the reason people kind of recoil at those terms is because they do assume intention. Mm -hmm. So if, and I think um, what you're talking about with abusive family members or abusive relationships, I think my line now is if people aren't, immediately willing to affirm the basic equality and humanity of every person, this conversation is not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. They can have views that I disagree with, but I'm not for myself. And this, the line is different for different people, but it's always a, when I, when I feel like somebody isn't acknowledging the equal value of my, my voice next to theirs, that's a very exhausting discussion. And when I feel like I'm having to argue for human value, like that is so far from where I can have a healthy conversation. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's so far from being able to listen to. And the, and those conversations end. are generally the ones that are, yeah, that where there isn't a lot of listening going on, where there's like a lot of slurs and um, kind of, just like defiance of PC culture, I think is how they would see it. But, you know, just kind of like... But just like being a dick is how other people see it. Yeah. yeah. And it, I'm not saying it's abusive to have to engage in a conversation with someone who's an asshole. Like that is not tantamount to abuse. But for me in my life, because of my own experiences, those kinds of conversations can leave me very exhausted and not able to be a positive person or an effective person in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's just not fucking worth it. Yeah. yeah. That person is not worth it to I me, mean, you know? Have, have I ever talked about the the one through five scale that mm-hmm. Loretta Ross gave that, oh man, I love it. I'm obsessed with it. I'm like spreading it everywhere. Tell so Loretta Ross is a reproductive justice advocate um, who's been working on that for years and years. And she was brought to Spokane for last year's International Women's Day. And she gave the speech on calling in and calling out, which was like a huge wake up call for me. Yeah. And she talks about, um, you know, like who to call in and who to call out. And I think it gets a lot of critique when you say, like, we just need to call everyone in because people think you're saying like, let's put all this energy into trying to talk to Steve Bannon, you know? Right. And it's like, not a thing. no, fuck Steve Bannon. Like, because he's a five. So, so here's the scale. Like ones are like people who are totally down for human rights see those things as obvious and like are actively working towards like extending human rights to all people. Those are ones. Twos are people, I think she called them problematic allies. So people who like 
have the best of intentions and believe in the general message, but have some hangups or uh, maybe have some like ego trip stuff going on, but are definitely like they can hear you. Threes is like the vast majority of the population who are just kind of neutral, who maybe didn't vote in the election or who kind of passively like voted for Trump or passively voted for Hillary Clinton, but just don't don't feel strongly one way or the other, which is like the majority of the population. And I actually saw you post this Naomi Shulman quote that I wanted to share because she said, and I think this is true to about threes a lot of the time, nice people made the best Nazis. My mom grew up next to them. They got along, refused to make waves, looked the other way when things got ugly and focused on happier things than politics. They were lovely neighbors who turned their heads as their neighbors were dragged away. Uh, then she goes on to say, you know who weren't nice people? Resisters. Resisters are once. But, um, you know, those people in the middle <laughs> are really important. And I think a lot of us have those people in our families who want things to be nice, want things to be peaceful, and maybe haven't been immersed in the reality of oppression or whatever. So, and then fours are, um, I think she calls them temporarily hostile persons. So people, maybe, maybe Trump supporters who now feel like really attacked because they supported this person who said all these horrible things. Maybe they supported him for their own reasons, but now they're getting dragged as they probably should for not caring about the open flagrant racism, the horrible to lack of policy proposal at all, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but there's, yeah. So there's fours and then fives are permanently hostile persons. And that's what you were talking about. People who don't believe that everyone should have equal rights, mm -hmm. people who don't respect you as a human in your conversation. Steve Bannon is just going to be my <laughs> go-to example. Bannon so in just, yeah. Shit on his reputation forever. So yeah, that's her framework. And the whole idea is like, don't waste your energy yelling at fives because what's the point? You know, there's a lot of like fives and ones yelling at each other. Mm -hmm. And the whole point is to like move people over one level yeah. if you can. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I so really like, like maybe for someone who like, I feel like I have a lot of access to people in the four camp who are conservative and I don't think conservative being conservative is in any way bad mm -hmm. there are so many different ways you can be conservative and you know I just don't want it to be about that but I think a really clear and easy line is affirming people's humanity and equality and there's some conflicts that I think people don't always see between the things that they're supporting and mm -hmm. those principles um but my big um, kind of conflict is like, do I spend my time on fours? Mm -hmm. You know, like I know that they're not assholes. This is a, a lot of people I went to college with because I went to Whitworth, which is a conservative Christian or a Christian school mm -hmm. that tends to reflect some pretty conservative values, less so now than when I went there. And um, threes who... I'm I'm having a really hard time with the idea of just detaching at this moment in history. Mm -hmm. I think this is all of our issue. Yeah. So do I do that? Like try to have these conversations with people. I probably would have more sway with than most other people 
in my more liberal camp because I have deep relationships with a lot of conservative people? Or do I give myself like this gift of being able to surround myself with people who are supportive and do agree with me and um, kind of see how I can flourish in a place where I'm teaming up with other people, mm-hmm. you know, who yeah, not are like working really hard on causes that I care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just not having those conversations yeah. and maybe seeing if like yeah. I have more energy to do, to be a positive force when I'm not constantly mm-hmm. engaging with this really combative yeah. stuff. Yeah. I think it can be both. If you, I've had a lot of success just like doing the latter thing that actually like feeds me, like being engaged with people who are down for the things I'm down with and doing these things because then it gives me a story to tell when I'm like, which I think gives you a lot of credit to be like, I'm working on this thing because I care about it and here's what it is and here's what it looks like. Um, when you do, you know, run into those Mm -hmm. threes and fours, I think it's good, but. And I think giving like as a writer, giving people the tools to, like I've kind of started thinking about how I can, through my writing, give people who do feel the urgency I feel right now to protect our kind of historical, I mean, and the progress that we've made toward equality and kind of more social justice within our country, um, giving people articles to share, quotes to share, facts to share, mm-hmm. you know, compelling arguments, like what, like specifically around making the case for the parallels between other times in history when countries have gone down this path and mm-hmm. how they've responded and how that has impacted the outcome. Yeah. That yeah. to me seems really important and something that I, that might be more positive and impactful for me just as myself with my skills and my particular interests and stuff like that than having these one-on-one conversations that leave me kind of hurting Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think that's really valid and you can if it is that one-on-one conversation and it gets out of hand you can be like look I'd really if you're really interested in this you should read this thing that I have already written. That I've already, all the yeah, things. this is my prepared statement. Like, yeah, yeah that's I think really that's point. totally valid. Like creating, yeah. Yeah. I, creating something that you, a story that you can share, like you said, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In my case, a specific story, like a, a literal story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can I tell you the, the conversations people were anxious about at our Thanksgiving workshop? Have you talked about your Thanksgiving workshop yet? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It happened. It's going to happen again. These are the the things that people are anxious about or have already dealt with. So finding out that people in their lives who they care about voted for Donald Trump and like dealing with the shock of that and having to like continue a conversation mm-hmm. um, was one of them. Another one that's a little bit different that's more like bystander intervention is uh, like public harassment and discrimination. Which I think is actually pretty simple. It's like, if you are, like, you should just say, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why would you think that's okay? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, And then dealing with, like, racism that's out in the open when it used to be hidden, more hidden. Um, Dealing with the conversation. I think this is a really tricky one of uh, reverse racism. People being like, well, now it's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's impossible to be a white person now. And... um, 
boo just talking fucking about who. Right. Yeah. And how to respond without just saying like boo fucking who. Shut <laughs> up. Um, Wait, that's not the appropriate yeah, response. No, probably not. I don't know. <laughs> and just like individualizing in general. So that's just like our uh, um, common behavior in general of like people with privilege is to see everything in terms of individual effort, individual merit, like individual scale. When we do, in fact, have data for groups of people, yeah, that is yeah. very disparate. Uh-huh. And it tends to be easier for and more the default for people who have been oppressed in whatever way to kind of see systemic level things because you've been underneath like a whole system your whole life. Um, so that was a conversation. And then like, well, not all white people are racist and it's so divisive to even talk about race. That's a really hard one, mm-hmm. I think. Just be like, why do they talk about matter. this? All lives matter. Yeah. Um, people wanted to know how to get away from picking a side, which I think is a really valuable question. And then um, another one that's come up for me a lot is people uh, policing how people protest and wanting to like manage people's emotions in this moment and also manage strategy like from the comfort of the couch you know be kind like, of like uh the the resistance would be more effective if yeah these people are hurting their cause by i just had this conversation yesterday yeah with How someone did it who, go it was with a friend who um is very thoughtful and you know has we have a long history of positive and sometimes more tense debating and we you know we had kind of addressed the specific issue of how people debate around these issues in, previously in the conversation. So it was very healthy. And, you know, I kind of, I just made the counter argument that in this case, anyway, anything that we do that is not exactly what the Trump administration wants is going to be treated as an injustice. And I use the example of Hamilton. Um, if you haven't heard, I'm sure you have the cast of Hamilton kind of, uh, approached Mike Pence, who was in the audience, our vice president-elect, and read him a letter that basically challenged him to represent all Americans. And it was beautiful and mm-hmm. a really good balance of positive and, you know, hard-hitting, I guess. But Donald Trump has, and a number of other people have kind of suddenly become very supportive of safe spaces, which is cool, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, have basically, like, been saying that the arts should be a safe place that's non-political, which is very terrifying for our First Amendment. Yeah. Yeah. So so I use that as an example of, hey, like, literally anything we do is going to come under Mm -hmm. fire, and there can be one negative instance. Like, we discussed last week, there was one... Uh, situation in particular that was making the news over and over again in conservative outlets Mm -hmm. where African-American protesters attacked a white person, like like a Trump supporter. And there have been thousands, I believe, Mm -hmm. of hate crimes committed in the name of Trump and white America since Trump was elected, Mm -hmm. you know, and those are completely ignored by that camp. So we can't win. And I have lots of experience. We as women have lots of experience in that like temptation to endlessly mutate Uh in order to please dudes. And it never wins. Like it, the only way you win is by figuring out who you are and what matters to you and giving the finger to 
people who try to tell you that you exist for their pleasure. Yeah. It's just not a thing. So we had that conversation and I felt listened to and I think he felt listened to and Mm -hmm. that's the best. Yeah. That you can do, you know? And I, you know, I think he really, like, I do think there are people in the world who genuinely want to have intellectual and emotionally charged debates about stuff that they care about with people who disagree with them because it feeds them. Yeah. And I seek those people out. Yeah. I have uh, kind of mastered exiting from a conversation. Like, it's tempting to want to have the last word or to say, like, I'm just not doing this anymore and walking away. But that triggers some, like, anger in people that kind of tempts them to push your boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and they're, like, sometimes it just means saying, like, I understand where you're coming from. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and changing, turning away, changing the subject. Like, you do have a choice whether or not to engage. You have the choice to leave. Like, my family and I kind of have a, um, have, like, cultivated a policy, I guess, of, you know, like, we want every, if if we're all there for the holidays, we want it to be because we want to be there Mm -hmm. and not because people feel a sense of obligation. And, like, I... My conversation with my friend yesterday where there was a little bit of a debate, um, one of the things he reminded me, I always used to tell him back in the day when we would argue a lot more, like debate a lot more, is don't be a martyr. Like nobody fucking likes that. You Like the world doesn't owe you shit. So like, you know, if you're there and you show up and you decide to have these conversations, you know, that's your choice. And like... Mm -hmm you also have the choice to leave to put yourself in a different space. So make smart choices for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That also reflect your values as wanting to hopefully as uh, being a good person who is a little stuck, but really wanting to help right now. So, and I have, I mean, I've had years when I don't go home for the holidays and I've kind of let my family, like one year I let my family know, that I felt like we were all just there out of obligation and there was a lot of negativity like the year prior to that. And I just wasn't down for it. And they were respectful of that. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries. If people don't respect your boundaries, like they don't deserve your time. Yeah. Truth bomb. Peace. Practice more. And uh, you can look, right below the player if you're on SoundCloud at the notes here or in the description if you're on iTunes and you can listen to past shows and subscribe by searching storyboard media on iTunes or by going directly to our website at storyboardmedia.org. Fun fact, we now have a Facebook page. We do. And it is facebook.com slash the thing podcast. Indeed. Right? Please like our Facebook page. Yeah, do it.